Hello, you're listening to Thorny Thoughts. I'm your host, Hawthorne. This is an audio diary documenting my Saturn return, as well as a place to ramble about witchcraft, queerness, farming, whiteness, disability, and a whole lot more. Thank you for joining me for... Thorny Thoughts, episode five. We're coming to you for the January full moon, January 2021. I have my lovely regular co-host, Leah, back with me this week. Hey. Uh, Leah, how was your new moon? How, how, was, how did that treat you? Oh, um, it was really lovely. I had two of my dear friends, dearest friends visiting, so... Um, We actually like read through the many moons workbook, which has like spells and tarot readings you can do every new and full moon. And um, we did tarot and um, it was really, it was really good. And I, I've been feeling like the amount of intention I put into it was sort of unique to some of the last new moons, which I felt like were a little bit more messy. And I've been feeling some of that ripple effect of that like I'm more tuned into my immune intention and um feeling some growth in that direction and been watching the moon more at night and been like oh the my intention is growing and so yeah it's been a kind of a lovely time focusing on just my craft and growing my craft of writing so yeah we're asking how about you that's really fantastic to hear um Mine is kind of the opposite, honestly. Uh, I started a new job the day of the new moon, which is very apt. And between that and my various volunteering and organizing commitments, I have just been like going nonstop. And yeah, I've, I've been like noticing the moon and I always feel like I look up in the sky and she's there and I'm like, oh, hey, babe, you know, how are you? <laughs> but it's, I have not been very intentional with like my practice or much of anything in my life because I just feel like my brain feels like a pile of scrambled eggs lately. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, so I've been taking this week to try and like get rid of some of my commitments and to sort of take a breath and leave work at work, which is hard for me sometimes. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you on all of that. I feel like that's like my usual MO. So um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I hope that you are taking rest and all those things. I hope you can stick with that. I know it's hard to say no to things sometimes, but. Um, yeah. Especially yeah. Like when I'm, when work is at home, when volunteering is at home, I think, well, I don't have a reason not to. And then, you know, I look at my calendar. I'm like, oh my God, why did I sign up for more stuff? And <laughs> like, I am one of those, like, I can't just put something out of my mind because I'll totally forget about it. So I'm constantly like holding pieces of all my projects in my working brain. And it's ridiculous. So, mm-hmm. oh, also- should- oh, you go. We should have a podcast about like memory at some point because I am similar. <laughs> I am similar to you in that way, and not everyone's like that. Like I, I feel like I like keep lots of notes and to do lists because I'm afraid if I let something go, it'll never come back to me, um, in my brain. Yeah. So 
that would be interesting to talk about memory together. I've heard that that is like an ADHD thing and like I'm autistic. So I also tell all my friends, like if you get along with me, you're probably a little bit autistic or ADHD or something. So (laughs) good luck. (laughs) Yeah. No, I've had suspicions on both those things for myself. So Um, yeah, that would make some sense. (laughs) I also keep like not realizing that January is almost over. And so Imbolg is going to be coming up next week, which is like, I feel it. I feel so glad that the sun is starting to come back and I'm getting to the point where I'm tired of winter. Sad to say we had some gorgeous snow today. We have like a foot of snow on the ground, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, I'm very ready to start planting my plants and get out in the sun again. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. It must just be snow everywhere because it's got a (laughs) lot of snow here too. Um, Yeah. And so what in bulk is next week? So this is a a Celtic holiday. Is that correct? Oh, um, yeah. In bulk is specifically Gaelic, although the word in bulk has been appropriated by Wicca to refer to the same holiday. So it is traditionally February 1st or 2nd. And uh, the original, well, the word translates to either imbolg or oimilk, which both mean like quickening and the dropping of milk into a ewe's udder. So it refers to like it's almost time for lambing season and things are really starting to turn back towards spring and start, you know, warming up under the surface of all of that snow. Um, And it's one of my favorite holidays because it is strongly associated with breed and sort of the time that she starts bringing the light back to the earth. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. I feel like I could have used knowledge of Imbolc when I was growing up and early February felt miserable um yeah and having that like trust in the warming that is happening and that connection would be really helpful hmm. oh I just remembered like this week I for Christmas my friends bought me these beautiful art prints of breed and I finally got a frame for them last week so even though I've not been intentionally doing much ritual that's a nice coincidence for Imbolc coming up I always love to like bake a loaf of bread and have some nice beer if I can't do anything else. So, well, that'll be my plan too. I, I <laughs> you just you just decided what I'll do for Imbolc. That's that's great. <laughs> nice. I might have a bonfire too. I'm still trying to decide if it's too freaking cold or not, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I know my bonfire is like not been used in the last month or so. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. We'll get back to it. <laughs> Maybe in bulk is the perfect time. It's a it's a wonderful time to to relight that hearth. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna kind of pop through some of the upcoming astrology dates before our next recording. Pop uh, away. <laughs> so last time I spoke with Camo Kitten, we were a new moon in Capricorn, which is also in solar Capricorn season. So an apt time to start a new job that's all about spreadsheets. And we've moved into solar Aquarius season as of January 20th. And Mercury is going to go retrograde on January 30th. So 
buckle up, get ready. It's a terrible day to be on an all day Zoom conference, which is where I will be. So we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and the Mercury is going to stay retrograde until February 21st. So like almost the whole month of February. Wow. And then on February 1st, we've got the sun in Aquarius squaring Mars and Mars will be in Taurus. So that might be kind of a, a frictionful time. Um, not as bad as Mars being in Aries, but might still slow some things down. And then on February 8th, the sun in Aquarius will be conjunct Mercury in Aquarius. So they will be in the same astrological position. So that's a really nice day for communication and working on projects, especially with everything being full Aquarius season. Great time to be outgoing and start organizing with folks. February 10th, um, that Mercury in Aquarius is going to square that Mars in Taurus. So it might be a nice full circle there from the February 1st square to the February 10th square. Um, Some more frustrating communications, but (laughs) with all these Aquarius placements, hopefully it'll move to something interesting. And then on the 11th will be the new moon for February, which will be in Aquarius. So we'll have a moon in Aquarius, the sun in Aquarius, and Venus and Jupiter also conjunct those guys in Aquarius. So an interesting time for like building relationship structures, trying out new things, or all around just sort of communicating feelings wise and relationship wise, and maybe setting some intentions for the upcoming year as far as romantic or organizing or like community relationships goes. Sounds kind of nice. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I feel like I want to be more chill during Aquarius season, but I've been very high key the past two weeks. So I'm hoping this will, <laughs> I hope I slowed out a little bit. Um, and that, that Mercury retrograde doesn't like totally stop me in my tracks, but we will see. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's funny. Mercury retrograde, like at a time when everything exists via technology. Oh, it's harsh. It's uh, it's harsh. It's like everything I do is on the computer at this point. I mean, Mm -hmm. work-wise. And I'm like, okay, here we come, February. (laughs) I don't remember if I, I know I've run your chart, but I don't remember your Mercury placement. I was actually born during a Mercury retrograde. So sometimes they're not so awful to me. Like I do tend to have car trouble or computer trouble, but like personal communication isn't as bad as for some people. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I can't remember my Mercury right now. I feel like my Mercury might also be in Libra, but don't quote me on that. (laughs) We'll have to have like a personal chart divulging episode sometime and just drag each other (laughs) favorite activity lately is like meeting new people and be like hey what's your birthday (laughs) (laughs) let me drag you on twitter like what's happening i'm scared oh lord (laughs) mostly me being mean to gemini's which is i'm contractually obligated to do yeah, I mean, they're, they're 
unfortunately for them, I mean, they're just an easy, easy group to target. All right. All right. This is coming from a high key Libra. All right. Lordy. Yeah, Lord. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep saying Lordy. I sound like my mom. I am aging rapidly into my Southern colloquialisms. I know. I've picked it up from you. I found myself saying it more. Oh, that's so. adorable. Thank you, Hawthorne's mom. One of these days, she will maybe appear on the podcast. I severely doubt it. That lady is goofy and trying to have a conversation with her is is a time but that is <laughs> as good a segue as any into our topic of the night <laughs> which is gonna be um uh, I would love for yourself and me to sort of give a quick overview of our own spiritual journeys and I know because that's a topic that we both really bonded over very quickly but I'd love to sort of share with each other and the listeners like where we came from and what are sort of our big milestones as far as religious and spiritual understanding um and then I have a couple of more specific questions for us to get into around our definition of like do you call yourself a witch and what does that mean to you and all of that but would you like to start us off or would you like for me to ramble for a bit I would love for you to ramble to get us going I am so good at rambling I can do this okay (laughs) a refined rambler indeed that sounds like a really fancy IPA the refined rambler (laughs) well maybe if we ever start a brewing company there we go (laughs) oh lordy yeah, my my religious journey is always a fun story, especially living in Wisconsin. Um, I feel like I've told you this. I don't remember. I'm always really surprised when people in the Midwest introduce themselves and they don't ask where you go to church. Um, so like, I, <laughs> I grew up in East Tennessee and I was in a very, very Baptist family Um went to really evangelical Baptist churches. So that was like a thing, even at school is like, Oh, what's your name? Where do you live? Where do you go to church? Um, it's just a huge part of social life down there. And it's a big part of social life in Wisconsin, especially for some of the more like recent Norwegian immigrants. They're all almost all Lutheran and they do their Friday fish fry, but it's a very different vibe in a Baptist church. Hmm. And So that was always a fun uh, culture to be growing up in. Although from a young age, I was always like asking a lot of annoying questions and my Sunday school teachers like actively rolled their eyes at me and did not like me because I was asking very silly questions about like dinosaurs or how people in Madagascar would get into heaven if they had never met someone who knew about Jesus because like I don't know. That's just logic to me. Like, if you don't hear the story and you don't have a chance to say no, do you really deserve to not get into heaven? And like, yeah, whatever. Very pedantic, undiagnosed autistic child. Um, So the bane of my Sunday school teacher's existence. And then about like age, I want to say 12 or 13, it was almost like 
like reactionary. I got really, really into it. I like became just the most obnoxious little evangelist for a good six months. Like, of course, I was a good little Baptist child. I had a Bible with my name engraved on the cover in silver. And I began like taking that with me to school every day and like doing Bible readings and harassing my friends that I knew weren't Christian. And at a certain point, I just kind of like snapped out of it. And it's really similar in my mind to the way that like I went really high femme for three years before finally coming out as non-binary, you know, like it's just sort of this reactionary protective cocoon I put myself in and I tried really hard to lean into it and to lean into the things I'd been brought up with but it was always Mm. just sort of deep down I knew that it didn't feel right to me and it's been really fun as an adult to start understanding Jesus as a revolutionary and anarchist figure outside of the really shitty like white American Calvinist perspective because a lot of the things in the New Testament are actually like really rad and anti-capitalist and anti-empire and all of that Um, and in some ways I find the New Testament teachings very similar to like Buddhist perspectives on certain things I still take issue with some other verses but like this is a whole other discussion the Bible is like a patchwork of so many different writings Um, But anyway, (laughs) after that little reactionary stent, I I became a Wikipedia Wiccan. And I know, like, Mm. that's not a phrase, but I know there are other people out here who've done this. Like, I literally went to the Wikipedia list of world religions, and I started reading through them one by one. And I kind of just picked out the one that made most sense to me at the time, because you know, I knew that I believed in something. I wasn't about to become like an angry atheist who denied, (laughs) who denied like all of the joy and beauty and awe in the world. Because that's one thing I will give some of the evangelicals is they do get pretty ecstatic in some of their practices. Um, (laughs) We had a couple of tongue speaking sessions. We had a lot of clapping and dancing and rolling some services. Um, but still it was white Baptist church. So it was not as fun as it could have been. And (laughs) (laughs) we weren't snake handlers, fortunately, but you know, sometimes it got close. So I like, I really valued that ecstatic and intuitive religious experience. And I'd always been a nature nerd. Like I loved plants. I loved being out in the garden and just talking to trees. So I glommed onto neo-paganism and eclectic neo-paganism as problematic as I now know that term is um and it's so funny like even from the beginning little 13 and 14 year old Hawthorne was like really suspicious of the whole one god and one goddess thing as well as the whole triple goddess narrative which is a really not historically accurate for the majority of deities that people talk about and be just like so painfully cis normative, like painfully so. But it was the closest I had. It was the thing that made the most sense. So I did as best I could. I leaned into it. I definitely got a few books confiscated from my bedroom in this process and a lot of questions about what the candles and incense were for. 
and eventually like the nerdy historian part of me went over and I sort of started scooching towards what is called Celtic Reconstructionism and that's supposed to be a more historically accurate like literally reconstructionist path which again I had issues with I you know and I still don't really feel like reconstructionism on its own is a very viable thing because it is one so easily taken over by creepy nationalism and like saying this is the way the ancestors did it so it's the only way to do it which a lot of people applied to like justifying their homophobia or even to justifying their hatred of quote-unquote witches and there's still folks in the recon community who talk like this like witches are outsiders if you call yourself a witch you must be working against the good of the community whereas if you're doing good magic and you're doing it for the good of the community like you need to find another word for it you're just doing magic or you're praying or whatever so this very weird like european almost colonial view of witchcraft and i was not a fan of that and i was not a fan of both being limited by the available historical information and how many people like had really bad historical information and were like misinterpreting shit, which is also an issue I take with Wicca because Gerald Gardner was full of crap and Wicca is 160 years old and there is no great goddess. And I could rant on this for hours. Leah knows this, but <laughs> like it's so many like historical falsehoods that a lot of teenagers and 40 something year old housewives still believe today. Very frustrating to me. Um, so I valued reconstructionism though because it gave me access to a community of people who like really appreciated Gaelic and Germanic folklore and specific folk practices and um, I started really getting into folk magic and kind of the the peasant side of things and that's something that's so funny to me with things like Asatru even now is like everybody acts like they're a Viking everybody acts like they are a warlord or a Jarl or something and I'm like yeah but your grandpa was a farmer like you're a peasant you <laughs> you really should be talking to Freyr about these things you know <laughs> not to tear and um it's like take yourself so seriously everybody wants to be the Viking hero in the stories and like have honor and I'm just like oh but like I'm literally just the weird witch hanging out by the woods like making my potions and creeping out local children. Like I don't need this whole big mythology. And it's really funny, actually, I, I have learned a lot from going to a local um, Tibetan Buddhist monastery and attending some of their services. And a lot of the emphasis in like the more culturally enmeshed, I don't know how to say this, like the folk Buddhism practice um, is on, you know, praxis, is on orthopraxy, like actually doing the thing. It doesn't matter, like growing up Baptist, there's so much emphasis on orthodoxy and making sure you believe the right thing and making sure your mind is pure and your body is pure and all of that. And I lean really heavily now towards orthopraxy and just being like, doesn't really matter if you're in the right mood or if you're doing it for the right reasons you know the thing is 
if you put out this offering or if you perambulate the stupa in a sunwise direction, you're still building positive merit. You're still doing the thing. You know, if you go out to the forest every week on your weekly pilgrimage, even if you're not in the best mood, you're still going there. You'll still, you're still saying hello and building relationships. Um, and I guess a lot of that is also influenced by Robin Wall Kimmerer's work in right relationship um, and her storytelling. And so I've become kind of rambly, which is apt because my current path is very hodgepodge, do what you can, and very much about like sort of integrating these little practices into my daily life. And I don't call myself a pagan anymore unless I really need a quick shorthand because the word pagan has been used by crappy white people for way too long. And it's just really sort of been polluted. I'm not a fan of that community. I've been kicked out of multiple pagan events for yelling at people about racism. So I wear that as a badge of honor <laughs> because I'm an asshole. And um, I do like, I'll use the word witch. I will use the word polytheist. And most of the time I just say like, it's Gaelic slash Germanic slash Appalachian folk practice. It's not even like magic most of the time. And this is something I want to get into more when we talk about are we witches or whatever. But like, to me, it's more about like how you perceive the world and how you interact with the world when you choose to act than actually like doing X ritual every new moon or doing, you know, blah, blah, blah thing in front of your altar every week, if that makes sense. But I yeah. have really devolved into rambling. So please take over. <laughs> That was fascinating. Um, I'm curious, how do you feel about the term animist? Oh, that's a good one. I forget about. I definitely identify as an animist, um, but not as a pantheist or panentheist, because I do want to distance. Like, I don't like the idea of lumping all gods into one god figure, even though I do feel like there's some sort of unifying life force, but gods are definitely distinct creatures yeah why essentialize mm -hmm. you don't have to hmm. good question cool um yeah i have some other follow-up questions but i feel like maybe when we talk about the witch portion we can i can get into those with mm -hmm. you yeah whatever works best <laughs> <laughs> um shall i shall i go if, shall you, I if, you, if you feel up for it like if you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's not going to be as delineated as yours. You know, it's really fascinating to listen to you, partially because you're so well read on everything, as far as I can tell, but probably <laughs> because we like the same topic. So every, every, everything for you, it feels like everything for me. Um, and so I grew up within a household that did not practice a single religion my parents grew up christian um and they did not adopt christianity my mother um i don't know if she calls herself an atheist but she certainly wasn't into god and but she loved nature and my dad he was he had um been sort of this um 
wandering hippie in the 60s and 70s and he adopted a lot of like neo-buddhist hindu practice like the westernized versions of that some of which was based on older um, eastern scriptures and so was a um, a meditator um, and for my whole life and uh, I always I always had really fond memories of like waking up and seeing my dad just, you know, silent in his meditation corner, um, which was in our dining room. And I, and he taught me to meditate at a young age. Um, and I remember having a, a really sort of an experience of no, of no time um, in meditation when at a dog park, when he was teaching me to meditate when I was like 10 years old and um, really kind of he through breath work just led me to a place where I was just the time just disappeared and it was really cool you know and and one of those like easier to access in some ways because I was a kid like Mm -hmm. almost it's so rare that I might have anything even close to that at this point anyway um, (laughs) uh, but um, and then as a teenager I rebelled um, by you know having no practice of anything um and then in college I took a yoga class and I was like oh this is kind of cool it's like meditating and moving at the same time and I remember thinking it was kind of revolutionary um and really fell in love with yoga and yoga kind of became my spiritual practice for I mean in in a way to this day but it has been supplanted by a lot of things for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so meditation and yoga were sort of the foundation of my spiritual practice. And a lot of that came from gurus like Thich Nhat Hanh, um, Vietnamese monk. And I read a number of his books um, in my like late teens, early twenties. And learned a ton. I continue to learn from Thich Nhat Hanh. I learned, you know, how to treat my emotions um, like a mother would treat their child and, mm-hmm. you know, not hate myself. And <laughs> uh, that all of that has been amazing. And I think I've, I've often thought of spirituality as a set of like tools uh, that I can use to um, connect with myself, to connect with spirit. And then and then sort of things evolved when I met Hawthorne <laughs> and Hawthorne, you led me sort of down this totally uh, world cracking open path of like really looking at my ancestry and connecting spiritual practice to ancestry and really figuring out where I'm culturally appropriating. Because until that point, I mean, essentially everything I had learned spirituality wise was westernized eastern practice so the idea that I had anything in my ancestry that could guide me was it was like coming home you know it was an idea that just felt so nourishing and I continued to explore it in lots of different ways um and like I have this book next to my to my bed that I'm reading called the way of fire and ice, the living tradition of Norse paganism. Hmm. Um, and just like learning about 
the Norse gods and writing, I've been writing a novel that kind of plays with uh, the Norse pantheon and I'm taking an ancestral recovery course with white, white awake and it's really good so far. And, um, but yeah, when it comes down to it, my practices like meditation is the crux of it. And I've learned tools from, for example, Tara Brock, um, who is a monk in the Buddhist tradition. And I can't tell you much more than that. Um, and she has a technique called rain that I use a lot. Um, and, I have been given gifts of beautiful things and art and things over the years from lots of people that decorate my altar. And Mm. um, yeah, and I, and if I step back and think about how I define myself, I really have liked the term animist because that feels like it embodies a lot of what I feel excites me about spirituality is like that just spirit is everywhere, that the Mm. world is alive and that like we can be in touch with that, that as humans, it is sort of natural to us to be in touch with that, but society has taught us otherwise. And so, yeah, reading Robin Wall Kimmerer reawakens that for me Um, and meditative practice reawakens that and um, learning about how to connect with certain Norse gods and goddesses reawakens that for me and writing a novel about time traveling witches reawakens that for me and so yeah that's my long and short of it oh and tarot tarot's mm-hmm. just like right deep in there um yeah thank you for sharing i think like your long and short was a bit shorter than my long and short but <laughs> in either case <laughs> i i know we have like a lot of similarities and i appreciate you like mentioning yoga and meditation as sort of tools as I think of them sometimes as technologies because Mm -hmm. I think something we spoke about when we really like had that first five hour long van drive was the practice of seas and like northern ways of breath work and trance work and how they're pretty similar to some meditation styles in some ways and Mm -hmm. my partner is like he doesn't call himself a Buddhist, but he's very, very much into mindfulness and very much into using meditation for um, sort of like emotion management and introspection to like just be a healthy and self-aware person. But like he introduced me to um, Pema Chodron and Chongham Trungpa. And I really appreciate like my partner has this sort of take on it. And I'm paraphrasing heavily here. So this is probably not exactly what he believes, but kind of that, especially Tibetan Buddhist folks have been practicing meditation for so long in such a structured and like supported way that they've kind of tapped into these technologies that speak to a lot of essential human experience and like the way that traditional Buddhism often describes specific aspects of like human perception you know like maya and um when i finally learned what attachment meant it made so much sense because i my whole life i had thought of attachment as like a westerner thinks about it as being you know materialistic and like liking your material possessions too much but when i finally Mm -hmm. figured out that it was attachment to the idea of something instead of the ding on zeke instead of the thing as it actually is 
And that disconnect between my narratives and reality is what's causing that anxiety. I was like, oh, holy shit. Okay, that attachment thing makes like 10 times more sense. And it's not just this anti-consumerist crap that Westerners have warped it into. Oh my gosh, that's so funny out there. And I had a very similar, I like remember where I was like when I had that realization. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's how distinct, because I also had a similar like, I thought non-attachment meant like, th- I, I mean, I literally thought it meant things like I can't like commit to someone in a long-term relationship because yeah. I can't become attached to you. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yes, like you said, you said it in a way that really resonated with me, like not attaching yourself to the idea of things, like not yeah. attaching yourself to the emotions around a thing, you know, um, it's that internal ways that we attach in ways that are so hard to see. Yeah. Um, and like- and I love the word technologies. That's so much better than tools. It's so much sexier. And I have definitely picked that up from folks talking about indigenous ways of knowing and indigenous technologies. So that is not a Hawthorne original. Like big credit to all of the indigenous folks that I have learned from. And um, honestly, a lot of folks on Twitter, but I also want to like give the <laughs> the disclaimer that I love that we're both white folks who are really, really into Robin Wall Kimmerer. And like, <laughs> it's so easy to read Robin Wall Kimmerer and say, oh, I had a revelation. But mm-hmm. like her work and like learning about the original, like more true meanings of some Buddhist practices, which I will never know the full extent of because I don't speak either Tibetan or Sanskrit. So I do not have all the cultural context, but learning about these things is sort of like, like you said, reconnecting to something that should feel natural and something that feels like coming home whenever you first experiencing it, that capitalism and white supremacy and Western culture have really cut us off from. And I know we're both into like cultural somatics as well. And I really love the imagery of you know, whiteness and white culture is like all being in the head and all being really cut off from that intuitive, fluid, emotional self that can like tap into these, you know, the energy of the things around us and tap into just relating to fellow creatures and not trying to categorize and dominate everything. And yeah, like Robin Wall Kimmerer's work takes me there and meditation takes me there and making art takes me there. So thanks. Yes. Yay. Thank you, Robin Wall Kimmerer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it feels like one thing that I love about her work and just like the parts of like my own spiritual practice that I find so enlivening is like that it is so personal that there are ways in which it's so beyond language. It's so much deeper. It's so embodied that like, um in some ways it can feel really simple like Mm -hmm. just like feeling like going outside and like feeling like connected to the wind you know and it it feels also like the hermit in the tarot Mm -hmm. like the hermit having this really intimate connection to spirit that is so unique to them um and not and you know maybe to the point that society doesn't even understand who they are because they're confused by them because their spiritual practice is is based on you know personal intimate connection yeah. 
yeah, yeah. that really uh, ties really nicely into some of the my perspectives on witchcraft and witch as a title but I also wanted to throw out something you just reminded me of is like so many of these cultural technologies like we used to have them in European culture and some European cultures still do have them but they're just kind of like not really seen for what they are and that's why I value like some of that reconstructionist practice is first you have to get yourself out of the capitalist western mindset for a hot minute and then you have to like reapproach these european folk practices from the angle of connection like one of the most common folk practices um of my people is like leaving milk out for i call that i call them the whites but um other folks white is like a germanic term for land spirit uh some folks might call them the good folk or the fae but basically just like leaving a small offering of milk out nightly and you know from a western perspective it's like oh this is a nice you know symbolic gesture and then from an animist perspective or from a more intuitive perspective it's just like you're literally like building a relationship with these spirits, with these entities by showing up daily and showing up with a gift. And that's something that comes up a lot in Robin Walt Krimmer's work and comes up a lot in more traditional perspectives on European practice is gifting and hospitality and reciprocity. Yes, 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 yes. I'm so glad you brought it up and you reminded me of one of my daily practices that I forgot to mention, <laughs> which is, um, directly inspired by Robin Wall Kimmerer's book Braiding Sweet Grass and it's we go out with our coffee every morning yeah. me and my partner or a little on the ground and we say thank yous to it changes every day like who we say thank you to but usually it involves the land and the spirits of the land um and uh yeah and so I agree it's it's like when you really fall deeper into the the feeling the knowledge and the knowing that all is alive around you it it really does inspire a, a a longing to connect and to find more ways to connect and show gratitude and Robin mm. Wall Kimmerer talks about ceremony being like how we remember to remember mm. um, and like ceremony can re-inspire that as well as be a um, an outcome of that connection yeah I do want to I think I want to add a caveat here of like this reconnecting and this learning to be in relationship is absolutely fucking vital for white folks because we are so caught off both from you know our ancestral technologies that whiteness has taken away from us and cut off from our extant relationships with land and with the other creatures but at the same time like there are so many folks who participate in spiritual bypassing and saying oh well i have felt this moment of spiritual connectedness so I am absolved from the problems of whiteness. I am absolved of having to think about cultural appropriation. And I do want to like, cultural appropriation, I think, is something that we can dive into forever for hours because it's such a big topic. But I do want to acknowledge that like, it's something I take very seriously in my practice. And it's something that is vital for white practitioners to always keep in mind because that is part of right relationship and that is part of walking in balance is being aware of those past harms and 
you know, where we stand in the nature of things right now. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because um, it's really, it's complex. And like, you could see through my own timeline of my spiritual practice, like, I didn't know about cultural appropriation. And um, over the last few years, as I've come to understand it, it's like, the understanding gets deeper and deeper, the more I learn, Mm -hmm. because it does real harm. And I think that that gets lost when people and myself included, when there are such like physical, spiritual benefits that you can experience that to like, to really be willing to sit with all the complexities and be willing to sit with reality includes facing really um, histories of deep harm and, and reckoning with yourself. And so I'll add like another layer to what I totally agree with about what you just said, Hawthorne, it's just like coupling it with, with work, with organizing, with like, I feel like ancestral recovery and doing that work and my spiritual practice um, cannot be the end of my work. It is, it is what helps sustain me in the work of the organizing Mm -hmm. um, and the grappling. Definitely. And that's, that's something that I find interesting is the balance between orthodoxy and orthopraxy, you know, where it's like, I don't value believing the right things just to believe the right things and to be right or better than people. But I do appreciate the line, like in the New Testament, where Jesus says, you know, you, they will know you by your works. And to me, that means like, if you have these internal beliefs that are in alignment with justice and in alignment with right relationship you're going to act a certain way and it's not a matter of preaching to people or saying that you are better than them or you believe the best thing but it's a matter of like your actions are directly shaped by your beliefs and values so it's yeah again there's a reciprocity between those things um and if i may i have like a really neat example of something where like my own ancestral practice And my awareness of cultural appropriation has overlapped really neatly, which is, I, for a couple of years, I smoked cigarettes daily. And like, you know, that was just a thing I did. I picked it up as a coping skill, not a great coping skill. Um, And I got to this point in my practice where, you know, I would meditate and it was sort of being called to my attention, like this kind of it felt like a knock at the door and I don't know how else to describe it. Like you just have these internal feelings during meditation sometimes. And it was like, Hey, you're fussing at everybody else about white sage and sweet grass. And you're over here abusing tobacco on a daily basis. And it was so funny to me. I had this friend who was also a white person and they would all, <laughs> they would always excuse their smoking by going, Oh, well, tobacco is medicine. Tobacco is medicine. And I, I was like, that's kind of itchy to me. That's kind of weird. And the more I learned about the actual horticultural history of tobacco as like the tobacco that we know commercially is a different strain than the traditional tobacco that, you know, was used in North America. And I am not an expert on this. I am a settler. There's a lot of ceremony and relationship that goes into real tobacco. Um, And again, in another meditation, it kind of came to me like, oh, I have multiple people in my family who suffered a lot of health problems due to their smoking. And it was sort of this, you know, not really 
double-edged sword, but like a multifaceted reason for me to give up that dependence on that plant and say, you know, not only are you misusing this plant culturally, you know, from a perspective of like tobacco is supposed to be sacred and you're using it as a, a drug of use, you know, a substance, but also as this is something that has harmed your ancestral line and it's time to stop. Hmm. Oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Way to like have a real ancestral stake in quitting. And like, I've only been done with cigarettes for a year and a half. So y'all feel free to yell at me if you see me smoking in public. But <laughs> that was something that was like kind of an interesting aha moment for me. But I don't want to detract okay. too far from our, our main point. <laughs> yeah, I, I've lost I've lost our main point. So maybe this is the moment to talk about witches. Yeah. So Oh. Do you call yourself a witch? If so, why? <laughs> Beautiful phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is actually the word that I use most often internally when I think about my practice and my belief structure. Um, and I, I sort of judge whether or not I should use it um, in conversation. And, you know, if someone is going to understand what I mean by it. And that goes both ways. Like sometimes if you say witch in front of, say, a Southern Baptist, they're going to assume a very specific set of things about you that are not true. But on the other hand, if you <laughs> say witch in front of a pink pussy hat wearing feminist, they're going to assume that you go to the same Wiccan circle they do and want to talk about your menstrual cycle. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I really love the term witch as like, and it sounds cliche because the Wiccans use it this way too, but like the original meaning of someone who works and weaves and bends. And to me, that's just seeing the way of things and seeing relationships and energy. And energy is another word that has very hokey connotations these days, but understanding patterns. And honestly, as an autistic person, like systems thinking is where I go to immediately. Like, I slot things into patterns and systems on a daily basis. It's just like, oh, that guy was rude to me. Like, and then I start thinking about the systems of patriarchy in our daily lives. <laughs> it's very silly. Um, but yeah, I also feel like being a witch is being an adversary and being an outsider. And I don't say that to be edgy. I say that because like you said before, a lot of folks don't understand my perspective and I have a hard time explaining it to them. And I do believe like being a witch is about both perspective, like how you view the world and the practice that derives from those worldviews. And so, you know, when I, for example, go out and leave an offering at the corner of my house every day, the neighbors are very confused. Like they don't know what I'm doing. It looks weird. It looks suspicious and ritualistic. But you know, if someone else who understood the way of things and folkways saw that, they would immediately know it. So it very much is like an in-group, out-group sort of thing. But I don't say that to be snooty or to be exclusionary. It's just like, you know, if you get it, you get it. And I'm kind of rambling at this point. But <laughs> for me as well, like being a witch involves 
a lot of times having certain taboos. And that's something that is talked about a lot in Gaelic culture. They don't use the word taboo, but there is a Gaelic word that is basically um, similar to that, like similar to how the word taboo is used in English, I should say, not the original meaning of it, but something that is specifically forbidden to you or something that you do not partake in because of a ritual purpose. Um, and that's something I notice a lot across practitioners of all varieties. And, oh God, sorry. I keep thinking of extra points, Leah. I'm like rambling, but to me being a witch Wait. also, oh, go ahead. Can you say a little more about taboos? <laughs> that's like new information for me. Because in some ways it seems like witches uh, defy societal taboos, but it sounds like you're saying they also redefine what taboos mean to them and embed it into their practices. Kind of, yeah. It's more like, and it might have more to do with specifically like spirit working. Because um, a lot of the spirit workers I know are just like given these specific taboos by guides or by their spiritual connections it's like so yeah witches break a lot of taboos societally and that was part of my next point is like I believe witchcraft has a lot to do with my own mental illness journey and my journey into the proverbial underworld and also with my queerness and busting taboos in those ways um but at the same time like it means observing certain rules about how I interact with the world like some of those are cultural. Like I, I don't pour alcohol on the ground outside in North America because it's alcohol. And that is, to me, is vastly disrespectful. And, you know, now like my trying to avoid tobacco, except for in very specific contexts, to me is one of those ritual taboos. Um, I also, and I broke this rule earlier in our podcast, <laughs> but I generally do not name drop certain deities in my house and that one is just practical because the last few times I have mentioned certain folks names out loud things get broken in my house <laughs> so it's kind of just a, a consequence of observation and of some of those relationships that you start to partake in as a practitioner if that makes sense mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yep yep so I, I realize I've been rambling for far too long and I would love to hear your perspective on this. Um, do you call yourself a witch? And if so, what does that mean to you? Mm. And that was not too long. <laughs> there is no two in this. So um, <laughs> I do call myself a witch and it's very recent, only in the last few years. And it was about the time that I started tarot. And I think it was all happening at once because I am, had wanted to do tarot for a while, but for a number of reasons, hadn't gotten into it. And then um, the Brown sisters, Adrienne Marie Brown, Autumn Brown, their podcast, How to Survive the End of the World, um, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. They they had a tarot episode that was like cinched the deal for me. I was like, I need to get a tarot deck. And I, I felt like I that sort of, I started, you know, looking around a lot and doing research online at like, um, and I was realizing like tarot and witches were like part of queer activist movement. And I like, I, that was sort of in the initial stages of all this, I was like, you know, it was just pinging in the back, realizing this. 
And then as I sort of dove deeper into my um, learning and Hawthorne, I met you at a time when Mm -hmm. I was really deep in my hypothyroidism, or I think it was sort of right. I was sort of starting to come out of it. I can't exactly remember where in the timeline of it all I was, but I had been learning about shamanism and I didn't have yet an understanding of that word and how culturally appropriative that word is and a lot of the ways that the practice is used by uh, whiteies um, <laughs> like me. And so I was sort of diving into what I would now call the spirit work. Um, and, um, but like, didn't know the name for like, I didn't know who to connect with or how to identify myself. And I started to find that which felt like the way that I could sort of flag how I was um, experiencing my spirituality. And um, in some ways you talking about you going out and doing rituals, like is in, is signaling to people. So the mm-hmm. people who know what you're doing and what you're talking about get it. And it kind of helps build community and send out these like hellos into the world. And it like brings in more people and community that is interested in similar things that I'm interested in and things that I do. Um, and I did not know until this exact podcast and you just saying Hawthorne that which was about weaving. And now I'm just even more in love with the word. Um, and it just feels so um, uh, beautiful. And because it feels so much about like, for me, like time traveling, I feel like that's part of my spiritual practice is like moving around through time. And mm-hmm. um, I um, also like that it's a reclamation of the word because which has been so witches have been so lambasted they've been so they've been violated they've been murdered and to bring the word back and be like you know this actually connects so many people to our ancestral witches um to our ancestors who had connections to the land and to spirit and it it makes me feel like part of a lineage i really appreciate that and i absolutely love that you drew the parallel between like witch flagging and queer flagging. And I think now we need like a witch hanky code, um, <laughs> like into ritual sacrifice wants to be ritual sacrifice, you know? And <laughs> I'm already imagining like a witch's hat that like has like different things. Dangling yes. Yes, I love it. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I, I super value that and like I I totally agree that like in the ancestor work that I have kind of dabbled in I'm definitely not an expert right now um that sense of like not necessarily witches because I know a lot of my ancestors wouldn't call themselves witches but outsider ancestors and witches go hand in hand and I was just posting this morning about like and we talked about this at the Queer Farmer Convergence, like how many queer ancestors we are missing and how many queer elders we did not get to learn from um, coming from our generation because of so many people lost during the AIDS crisis. And this necessity to build like queer lineage to rebuild. And it's, you know, it's been destroyed so many times over the centuries. And yet we're still fucking here 
And <laughs> I connect that, yeah, so readily with the concept of witch, especially again, like witch as adversary and outsider and someone who wants to change the status quo. Because I think at the yeah. end of the day, that kind of boils down to all those, you know, feminist groups and queer groups using witch imagery is just like, yeah, we are the adversary. We're coming for your systems because we see how messy they are. Yeah. And we're connected to something deeper. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. I love that. <laughs> and it reminds me so much of um, your podcast recommendation to me, which was Bespoken Bones, mm-hmm. which I feel like does such a wonderful um, weaving of all of all these concepts and like really diving into like queer ancestry and just like the the magic there, but also the loss and the trauma. And mm-hmm. so thank you for bringing that in. Yeah, big ups to Bespoken Bones. They've definitely taught me a lot. And um, there's also a project called Queer Nature, um, which is led by a couple of queer and trans folks of color. And that has also really cemented my understanding of queerness and queer ecology and how interconnected those are. And like, again, just the systems of whiteness being super threatened by both queerness and ecology and traditional ways of being because they violate those cultural norms and they perceive, you know, relationships and connectedness outside of the patriarchal structures that we've been given. Yes. Yes. I, I love it. I, cause <sighs> It's reminding me of my my thesis research and yeah. my master's and just like how in my exploration of I was looking at whiteness in sustainable agriculture and also looking at um, resistance um, against racism. And it led me not just to amazing like, you know, black cooperative movements that have built up to resist these structures that were meant to harm black people, but also like the way that queer um, community has worked around the system that was never designed for them and so so many people that have been marginalized um, have resisted and developed and built together systems that are much more harmonious and functional than the system the larger systems that be which were designed to harm so many people mm-hmm. um, so I yeah I feel like what you're saying about the queer ancestors that were lost um, during the AIDS crisis and just so many, so many ancestors that have been lost because of these harmful systems and their wisdom is precious. And um, yeah, viva la revolution. <laughs> I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I'm glad we brought it, brought it back around to farming somehow because everything in my life is related to that. And I'm really excited to see so many more like especially folks of color black folks indigenous folks drawing these connections and finding like if not witchcraft specifically because that word is fraught in a lot of ways but finding these spiritual practices and community and how deeply connected they are to rebellion resistance and revolution And, you know, again, I'm white. This is not something for me to speak at length on, but I've I've just seen so many beautiful books and stories and media creations in the last few years and just sort of showing this 
renaissance in understanding and like it's kind of it's kind of funny to me to like look at the 80s and 90s like wicca revival was so milk toast was so white and so second wave feminist and now we're finally like seeing some real radical witchcraft some real intersectional witchcraft coming through mm-hmm. and i yeah. yeah the brown sisters podcast how to survive the end of the world is absolutely amazing and i tarot is a huge part of my personal practice as well and i really value like the structure it can give and the insights it can lend and i've just recently like come into a bit of conflict there um with the potential that tarot might also be more of a protected cultural practice. And that's something that I'm, I'm still learning about and I can't speak to very much at all right now. Yeah. I'll be curious as your learning unfolds. Cause I'm like, I'm like, you know, I have a tear ready to shed. Um, you know, if, mm. if I, if I have to steer away from tarot, um, but I, uh, for now, I'll, I'll let you do your research. I'll <laughs> put your brain to it and then come back to me. And some of it just has to do with commodification and selling readings or selling access to information. But, and that, yeah, that's a whole other layer of things to discuss. But I mean, I personally have used tarot for years in my practice and it's been really insightful for me and also have done other forms of divination like rune casting and I'm still learning Oum which is a Gaelic alphabet that's used similar to runes but haven't fully memorized them yet nice yeah I'm excited about runes I I got my wood burning kit and I just um gonna have my landlord help me saw up a branch Mm -hmm. um so I can make my first rune set um yeah, I, I I'm a big I'm so appreciative of these sort of um, forms of divination. I I also used to do a lot of iching. I haven't much recently because um, tarot. Was, <laughs> I kind of got fell in tarot and kind of got obsessed. Um, anyway, uh, and there's the cultural appropriation part, which factors in I think in ways that I I haven't even fully registered. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to dive into runes because it feels like kind of getting closer to ancestral practices. So yeah. um, I know you've made a bunch of runes in the past, so I might be calling you up <laughs> when I'm like burning up wood in my house. Yeah. No, I I really enjoy working with runes. They're really tricky, especially compared to tarot, because it's almost like reading with only the major arcana. You Sometimes you don't get a lot of the nitty gritty details, and sometimes they're really obtuse on purpose um and there's a lot of bad info out there on runes and it honestly it's kind of funny that you mentioned I Ching my partner sometimes uses I Ching as well and like reading the interpretation of what the different um castings mean according to like some British white guy who wrote it down in the 1800s and just totally misinterpreted it is kind of like and the the cultural dynamics are very different admittedly but it's kind of like how I feel about most rune books on the market it's just they make up some poetic nonsense that's vaguely related to what the rune translates to (laughs) but I do have yeah have I recommended you my favorite rune book 
Uh, no. It is Taking Up the Runes by Diana Paxson. And she actually cites like three different rune poems from, you know, the Icelandic, the Old English or the Old Germanic and from the Norse. So she's got multiple sources, lots of linguistics behind her. And it's the first rune book I've seen that actually has some heft behind it. Nice. Okay. Good to know. (laughs) Good to know for my rune journey. (sighs) I wish you luck. Well, this has been absolutely lovely. And I really appreciate you sharing all of these insights and like personal stories with me. And I know hopefully this, there's so many topics here that we could keep exploring in depth for hours. So I really look forward to coming back and revisiting these with you in the future. Do you have any parting thoughts for us? Yeah, though, this was fun. I like this conversation. It's good to be back on the podcast. Um, And yeah, I hope that your, your full moon um, is enlivening um, and balanced and juicy. Juicy. (laughs) That reminds me so funny. I always refer to the moon as she, even though in the Norse, like Mani is a masculine figure. This just reinforces my idea that God is trans. Goodbye. The end. Like <laughs> it's fine. The, mic. the, oh, the moon is a trans lesbian, <laughs> and she loves you. Um. Yes. Speaking of a trans lesbian, have you seen the show Sensate? That's the uh, the other last. <laughs> I'll drop in there. I watched because it's I great queer one, like years ago I've not picked up season two again though but yes I loved I love the queerness of it but it was sad seeing everybody get beat up by the mean government guys <laughs> oh I know I know oh gosh but uh, yeah that's those are my farting words, How about you, yeah. Rachel? Your farting words? <laughs> thank you for that lovely diversion um <laughs> yeah no I just want to say thanks again and it's very glad to have I'm very glad to have Leah back on the pod and I will be coming back to y'all probably sometime between February 7th and 9th for that new moon in Aquarius. Uh, We'll see how grounded I can stay with all this Aquarius stuff in the air. And other than that, just wishing y'all love and coziness in this very, very snowy week. Yay. Thanks, Hawthorne. Thanks, Leah.